Welcome to Bourbon Beer and Books. This is a spinoff of the Literally Podcast by Case Johnston, who is on the show tonight. Banyan family has a bevy of podcasts, including Van Sessions, a live studio audience podcast where, yes, musicians play just right outside of Van. They used to play in the van, but pandemic. You can find all the Banyan Collective podcasts on YouTube or your favorite podcast app by simply searching Banyan. That's Banyan. There's two A's in Banyan. Uh, Bourbon Beer and Books has been launched for what, the past year, Sean? Yeah, it's been yeah. a year, according to Facebook memories. All right. My favorite part of Facebook that I have no part of anymore because I lost my old Facebook account. Uh, a bunch of friends from across the country, literally across the country, from uh, <laughs> Buffalo, New York, to Florida and Utah and the Pacific Northwest. And then, Ben, where are you? I'm in Minnesota. See, Minnesota even. Uh, so talk about our favorite books while drinking bourbon and beer. Sometimes we don't even talk about books. Sometimes we don't drink bourbon or beer, and we just have a good time. So today, we do have Sean from Oregon, Case, and myself are in Ogden, and then Ben's in Minnesota. So, Sean, this is your guest. Why don't you go ahead and do the introduction here? Oh, he's a friend of ours, and and I and I call him a friend. We haven't we don't talk like every week or or every month or so. But I'm I'm so excited to see all this great stuff that he's doing. Um, so I know Ben told us not to read his whole his whole bio because it is long and he's doing so many things and it might be a little embarrassing, but I want to show you, I mean, this guy is just, just killing it right now. So he, he's wrote, he wrote six novels. Uh, the most recent among them is the unfamiliar garden in the, the nth metal. Uh, I, I've read both of them uh, and that's for you know, the comet cycle series. Do I have that right, Ben? Yeah, that's part yeah. of the comet cycle. Uh, so you also wrote Deadlands, and I love that one because it's a dystopian retelling of the Lewis and Clark expedition in a way. And and I just moved uh, moving to Astoria, so I was really excited. I love that um, Red Moon, The Wilding. I love The Wilding because I really I don't want to say I identified with that combat veteran because <laughs> he's horrible, but I'm, I love how you wrote him at least. <laughs> and then the short story Suicide Woods. Uh, refresh, refresh in the language of the elk. You know, I have all of those books except for Suicide Woods and Language of the Elks. I got to get those. So you broke into comics in 2014 with a two-issue Batman story, and I did buy that, and I loved it because the bad guy was Mike Magnuson, or at least Magnuson, right? <laughs> <laughs> our, old, our old mentor. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that you were on Nightwing and the Teen Titans, but I were. I was buying your uh, stories when you're Green Arrow and James Bond, and and I love it. You. It's just like I didn't know James Bond even had comics, but I guess you have to start somewhere, right? And uh, yeah. so now you're doing Wolverine. You're doing X Force, uh, and Marvel Comics has trust you is trusting you with Ghost Rider 50th anniversary number one comic. And that just blows me away. That's just amazing. Um, yeah, but, but I also want to talk into your your podcast where you're doing the audio drama. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, the the radio theater, which I love so much. So you did uh, the long night. It's like for uh, 15 podcasts, and that would that and that won the um, iHeart Radio Award for best scripted podcast 2018. Oh, congrats! Uh, That's awesome. Wastelanders with Old Man Star Lord, which. That's to me. That's such an interesting angle to go, an old man Star Lord type of deal. I think that's great. And uh, yeah, and I, I was like, holy cow, you got Chris Elliott and Danny Glover too. Like really cool actors in there, and that's uh, that's got to be amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, it was really fun being able to sit in on all those recording sessions, and you know, oh, you got to sit in on them, man. That'd be so so right. Well, here. sit in as in set. You know, I was on Zoom. Uh, uh -huh. yeah, we hang out and like hoist beers in person, but it was no, we do it cool. every single to be able to interact with them. So now you're writing scripts for Paramount, Fox, Sony, Stars, uh, and you have some several films and TV projects. And we only have like four people that watch this, so you can probably tell us all of this stuff. <laughs> that no one's gonna care. <laughs> forget, the, forget the NDAs, I can let it all spill out here. No, no, but uh, we should mention that uh, people who are watching the live, if you'd like to ask Ben any questions, go ahead and type those in the YouTube or Facebook uh, groups, and we'll see these pop up and we can answer those live. So Ben is available for some, some questions, we can, we can attend to those. All right, continue, Sean. 
Well, I, I wanted to start out with a question, then Case will come with a question. And I already talked about, like, you know, you're writing James Bond and, and uh, Nightwing, Teen Titans, and Green Arrow. Uh, but you also wrote all those books, and you're writing the scripts. I don't know if you're doing any screenplay, or I mean stage plays, but the radio theater is kind of like that. Uh, my question is... Um, do you have schizophrenia? No, I mean, like when, when you hit each one of those types of uh, mediums, uh, isn't it difficult? Or do you have to switch? Or are you telling all the stories in the same way? Sometimes my brain does feel like it's being torn to confetti. Uh, I'm able to compartmentalize pretty well by, you know, breaking up my days and breaking up my weeks in such a way where I'll say be working on the novel from eight to noon uh, every day. And then I have like a continuous sort of flow from day to day to day, keeping that novel in my head. But then after lunch each day, you know, I snarf down a Reuben sandwich, I walk the dog, you know, as I'm doing so, I'm thinking about what I'm gonna hit at the desk when I return. So I get back to the desk, and, and I'm not working on the novel anymore. Maybe I'm punching out some comic scripts. Maybe I'm editing a screenplay. Maybe I'm working on a podcast, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> in other words, I, I develop a schedule for myself and I try to sustain what I guess you could call a kind of cascading focus. Uh, <laughs> but I would not, you know, I would not advocate like spreading yourself too thin. I'm probably working on too many projects right now, but it's hard to say no when these opportunities rise up. The thing is that all of them offer unique challenges. And I don't just mean the stories themselves and whatever plot point I'm wrestling with. I mean, the, the craft, the craft is so different from medium to medium, right? Like here I am writing comics and then here I am writing novels and then here I am writing for audio. Think, you know, think about audio for a second. When I started writing Wolverine the Long Night, which is the first of the three podcast uh, series that I wrote, when I first started writing that, I realized that I was translating a visual medium, comics, into the audio realm, right? This is a story about Wolverine. This is a story that kicked off what I guess you'd call the Marvel audio universe. How was I to take, you know, this, this visual medium and make it digestible or sort of congruent with your ears instead of your eyes? Let me give you an example of that. What's sort of the, the, the hallmark of every comics issue or any comic book movie? The fight scene. How the hell do you write a fight scene that makes any sort of sense if your audience is just listening to it, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got people going, ooh, 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 sniff, yeah. that was pretty good though. That was pretty good. That was, <laughs> I was into it. I was going to say good sound effects. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, you, you have to negotiate that. Uh -huh. One thing that I figured out was that <clears throat> If you read, you know, studying the form, right? I, I was listening to Serial. I was listening to S-Town. I was listening to all these series that were popular at the time, the majority of which were true crime shows. And they basically all had an interrogative format, meaning there was a journalist at the center of it asking questions of people. Those people would then recall a story and the story would then sort of take over the narrative the past would intrude upon the present. Mm, and so like, uh, Max Brooks, World War Z, maybe. Yeah, in a way. In a way, tell uh, the story. Yeah, I mean, that's a bunch of oral history. Sure. Um, so so in, in my case, I imagined all of these different federal agents, uh, you know, they were they, they moved into this town in Alaska and they were there to figure out who a killer was. Uh, and, and so they're interviewing people, they're interviewing a, a fisherman, they're interviewing a bartender, they're interviewing deputies, the sheriff, somebody who owns an apartment building, blah, 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 blah. They're interviewing these people. And as this interrogation continues, right, the crab boat guy might be like, 
Well, that, you know, I woke up at 4 a.m. that night and went down to the docks and, you know, pulled out the vessel, went out into the chop and fog was rolling in. And, and it makes sense that they would be telling you all this ex- expository detail. Yeah. Because it's, it's the result of them being asked a question as opposed to, right, uh, I don't know, two people walking along and being like, here we are walking along this fine avenue named Bear Brook Lane and up ahead, 20 yards or so, is the old Withers home where on this day, they say, 20 years ago, uh, old man Withers hacked up his wife with an axe. (laughs) And lo, do you not hear now the noise of creaking floorboards just beyond the threshold? Right, that's corny as shit. And, and, and so yeah. by having this interrogation going on, then I could get the exposition out, but I could also set the stage like, okay, we know that it's foggy. We know it's night. We know the exact location. And then we'd have these ambient details start to flow forward. Like you'd hear the waves slapping. You'd hear the boat rigging uh, creak. Oh, yeah. You'd hear the squeak of like rubber boots on a deck. You'd hear the hinge of the hold squeak as it, as it rose up and somebody clicked a flashlight and looked down and among the fish and the ice, there was also a body, right? And so that's how we did it. We went sort of like this back and forth negotiation during the past and the present that allowed you to uh, not give visual, a visualization, but as close to a lived experience as possible. And I think I, I saw that when your podcast, or no, I'm sorry, one of your craft talks as far as like the butler and the maid talking and giving exposition as as opposed to like, you know, writing it. Yeah, I mean, exposition is clunky as hell to work into dialogue. So how do you come up with a way to sort of trick it into the script? And and that was the trick that I came up with, which I only figured out by studying all of these nonfiction podcasts. Yeah. Cool. I, uh, that's amazing. I, I don't know how much Sean wants me to follow script. I'm not that that good at it. Um, <laughs> but, and I might've, I might've missed something when you're going over everything you've been doing lately. Um, what, where was the part where you said you missed grading English composition papers? <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I taught, I, for, that? I taught for a while. I taught yeah. for, uh, over 10 years and you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I did it. It made me feel like I was, earning my oxygen, being in the classroom, whether I was teaching composition or whether I was teaching lit or, or creative writing or whatever, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I, I'm glad for that experience. And, and, and I still try to get into the classroom every now and then. I try to teach at summer programs and such writers conferences like Tin House or Breath mm-hmm. Over or, or Suwannee or wherever. And, you know, there's, there's something infectious about being around. Oh, because you- what was that? that I cut out uh, is, is uh, something great about just being around other people who, who really care about language, other people who really worship at the same altar built of these 26 letters that, you know, we all, we all cherish. And, and, and sometimes that doesn't happen in a composition classroom for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember you putting on Facebook the day you said, you know, as of right now, and I don't know where my future is going to take me but I'm now no longer teaching um, at least full time. And, and I remember, I remember, I, I mean, you could see it within, within your pros, just on a Facebook post that there was, you know, there's, there was a bit of hesitance, of course, because you'd been in the classroom so long. And, and like Sean said earlier, it's so cool that, you know, we, we never have, we have yet to see that Facebook post where you're like, I have to go back into the classroom. So um, I think it's pretty awesome that that was a yeah, lot. Yeah, cool. And I remember reading that specifically uh, cheering from out here. I don't actually know where I was living. I think I was still up in Washington at the time, but uh, um, that's all. I think that's just awesome that, that, that post. Oh, I nice. just remember it very, very, very specifically. Yeah, it's, been, uh, it's been about 10 years since, yeah. since I, quit and i don't i don't every day i'm you know i'm i'm grateful for what i'm doing i don't take it for granted in the slightest and if i have to go back to teaching there'll there'll be no complaints from me yeah great gig well congrats i was that's what just been a while and i remember just reading that post very specifically um yeah sean um so i just i finished the ghostwriter which i thought was which was great my my question is and you talked about different mediums and how they're different art forms and um 
I would, I would, I mean, I would love to know that the kind of process, I mean, obviously it's completely different than writing a novel or working with an editor on a novel. I mean, cause obviously, cause you have, how many words do you have in like a, in, in a ghostwriter or within a comic book totally uh, from start to finish? Well, generally speaking, there's some flexibility on this because mm -hmm. like a first issue might be oversized. But generally speaking, if you're writing for DC or Marvel, you've got a 20-page issue. And there's 20 pages, there's five to seven scenes, there's other things that I can get into. But, you know, it's, it's 20 pages and it, it reads panel by panel a little bit like a, a movie script. You know, it's like a, mm -hmm. a bit like a slow movie where maybe the direction is a little bit more aggressive than you'd find in a screenplay and that, you know, you're talking to the, the artist directly about sometimes, you know, the angle of a shot or mm -hmm. whether it's close up or medium or, or whatever else. Is there a lot of that back and forth in the writing phase the, between you and the artist? Or is, there, is that like, is that something you come together beforehand or is it something that you write it out, the artist reads it, and then you guys kind of like work together after that? So it depends on the situation. Uh, in the case of, let's say, Wolverine, you know, I'm working with legendary artist Adam Kubert. So I will oftentimes talk to Adam beforehand about a story arc that I have in mind. I'm like, okay, I want to write this story arc about an auction house, an auction house that specializes in black market superhero and supervillain stuff mm -hmm. from the Marvel Universe. We're going to call this place Legacy House. And Wolverine's going to be basically a noir detective in the storyline investigating something about his own past mm -hmm. and his connection to T-Max and Maverick. But he's also going to be breaking into like this underworld, this black auction underworld. And that auction house, right? It's all about the past as well. So those two things are thematically tied together. So I might talk to Adam about something like that up front. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. Hey, I wonder if... Mm -hmm. In every one of these uh, interrogations that's going to occur, because what I have is a series of interrogations where Wolverine is like, as I said, acting as a detective. So he's like slamming some guy against the wall and being like, what happened here? And then he's going someplace else and, you know, smashing somebody else against the wall and saying, what happened here? And in every one of those cases, you're getting a story and the story yeah. seeps into the past, sort of like what I was talking about with The Long Night. And so Adam comes up with the, he's like, you know what? I think it would be cool. What if we had a different uh, layout scheme? And what if we had a different color scheme? And what if we had a different just art dynamic for every one of those stories that was influenced by that person? So let's say it's this one guy who's sort of a pirate from a mm -hmm. fantasy realm called Araco. Uh, let's make that look like almost like a old Conan comic, you know, yeah. the way that it's put together when he's telling his story and so yeah. on. Um, and so I'll talk to Adam about that stuff and then it'll, you know, I'll be keeping it in the back of my head when I'm writing the script, but my scripts are very detailed. They're very prosy. Uh, and, and I learned this from uh, the first artist I worked with. Uh, Sean mentioned earlier, this Batman two shot that I wrote that sort of kicked off my career in comics back in 2014. And I was partnered with JP Leon. Uh, J.P. Leon has very sadly, tragically died uh, recently of cancer. Um, He's a brilliant artist and also just a great dude. And he taught me a lot because I was very open with him at the beginning. I was like, this is my first gig in comics. I want to do the best job I can. Help mm -hmm. me be a, a, a better comics writer. And he's like, the best thing you can do is not necessarily to tell me exactly how to write a panel. I mean, draw a panel. Mm -hmm. uh, don't think of it like an instruction manual for me. He's like, instead, make me feel. Make me feel the scene. Make mm -hmm. me feel the horror. Make me feel the suspense. Make me feel in love with this character or disgusted by this character. Or, or, or he's like, so write every little panel sort of like you would a passage in a short story. And, and so, again, I'm a little bit maybe more prosy than a lot of other comics writers for that reason. But the idea is I want to sweep the artist away and a lot of people you know i would say nobody except the artist and my editor sees what i write mm -hmm. on the dialogue and the yeah. captions right 
But nonetheless, I'm making that that effort to try to get them on board and make the story something that we're co-authoring. Right. So you're literally, I mean, this is all new to me. So you're literally just painting the whole picture for each panel with, yeah. with your description and with like scene setting and everything like that. While also telling the artist, you know, I trust your vision. You can see it better than I can. If you have an idea for expanding the number of panels, mm -hmm. you know, compacting the number of panels, doing some crazy layout thing, whatever, rock on. Yeah. Um, you have to have that flexibility. Um, yeah. And and also just constantly asking artists, what do you want to draw? Um, mm -hmm. And just keeping a list. Because I work with a lot of different artists. They all have their checklist like, oh, I really want to draw Deadpool. Or, oh, I really want to draw. This is what Adam said to me recently. I'd really like to draw Deadpool fighting Wolverine in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's so cool. Like I said, that's that whole, that's so new to me. That's so not, you know, anything I know. So it's, it's cool to see that. I think a lot of people might say, well, you write it and you're only writing those little teeny pieces of dialogue that are scattered, but you're, you're painting everything, scene setting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you know, when I first started off, I asked a bunch of comics writers and I asked a bunch of comics artists for the, their favorite scripts that they'd ever worked on. And I was curious about both points of view. Um, and so I got a bunch of sample scripts from Scott Snyder, from Jeff Johns, from Dan Jurgens, and so on. And then I also got a bunch of artists who sent me. Are you guys still there? Mm -hmm. you disappeared. Okay. Over here, uh, guys. I, also I took you full screen. Sorry about that. It was a little. <laughs> and I also, you know, looked at all these artists, like the scripts that they thought were the best they'd ever worked on. Mm -hmm. And there's no one way to write a comic script, unlike screenplays. There's a strict way. Yeah, you have to a screenplay. But comic scripts is all over the place. So I just sort of looked at what everybody else was doing and I found something that worked best for me. But a standard, you know, page might be like page one, panel one, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wide shot of an alleyway at night. Mm -hmm. uh, rain is falling hard at a diagonal slant. Uh, you know, maybe I specify what graffiti is sprayed sloppily on the on the, on the brick wall, if there's some sort of symbol I want to nest there, like some villainous cabal is on the loose or whatever. Yeah. Maybe there's a bunch of like uh, humped, uh, the black humps of, of trash bags flowing out of this dumpster, maybe a rat scurrying along. And then most importantly of all, you know, our focus is on a figure moving towards us from the back of that alley, maybe with a hood up, muscular build, whatever. And then I might have, you know, as a cap, I might say like cap, uh, Gotham City, mm -hmm. and then I might have like a, narr a narrative caption to follow that, in which I, you know, say something like "Fall has come to Gotham" mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm doing I'm doing the combination of providing those dialogue balloons, providing those narrative captions, but that's just like speck of yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, do you love it? I do love it. I mean, it's. Uh, corny to say, but kind of a childhood dream come true to be riding Wolverine. Like he's, oh yeah, that was always my guy. Like that's yeah. My focus was pretty narrow. Like I was an avid comics reader, but I only read. I'm not one of those people nerds who can be like, well, in the 1966 issue of Captain America, blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> I I read Wolverine. I read Punisher. I read Conan. Uh, I read Batman. Uh, you know, there were some side hustles with like Warlord and stuff like that. But like, I was pretty specific in what I read. Like, I can tell you uh, all about everything Vertigo published. Oh, yeah. I love Lobo. Uh, always uh, read the old, the Conans, but I also read the Robert E. Howard uh, books. I read, I went through all of those books. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, I definitely. Batman's been one of my favorites. But I mean, this whole thing was supposed to be about Ghost Rider. This is our, this is the book that we have chose. But before we do that, I just wanted to, to um, find out what we're all drinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. What are we drinking? Yeah. Drinking. Case, go for it. I saw you drinking something in a Yeah, I got my High West, you know, again. Okay. Nice. Pretty lazy. It, it blows me away that Utah makes such good bourbon. I know. This is double, really good wait, stuff. What's that? Wait, show, throw, show that again. That's a double rye. That's the there double rye. Okay, double rye. All right. And it is. I'm lazy, but I because I know it's good. 
Yeah. So yeah. And I don't drink this stuff a lot. So you just I'm drinking like, that uh straight or you put that? Yeah, on just some, straight. Oh, okay. You know, I got my little pub runner, pub runner glass. It's not Lucas's art this time, which is sad, but uh yeah. you know, <laughs> got my pub runner glass and I gotta keep it uh keep it pretty mellow. I jump on a plane to to jump on a plane AWP. to uh, AWP tomorrow. So oh nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Well, yeah, yeah, more excited. I'm pretty excited about Philadelphia. Uh, I got a feeling right. this uh, this AWP might be a little wild. Uh, yeah, my- three years. People have been holed up for a long <laughs> yeah. time, and, yeah. and I think everybody's going to be making out with everybody. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> I love the end of the night dancing. Uh, yeah. Jolly's writer's dance is my favorite thing. But hey, I'm in there dancing too, so I don't care. Hey, right. One time I, I poked my head into the dance, and I was like, who is that old man? I was like, that's George Saunders. And George <laughs> Saunders was going wild. That guy can, that guy can bust a move. Dude, nice. and, and he writes stuff like 10th December. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I, so um, in honor of Ghost Rider, I Devil's bought cut. The, wow. the Jim yeah. Bean Devil's Cut. And it seems in the comic, that's what he's been downing. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> And then I have a beer because I know uh, you grew up in uh, Deschutes County, right, Ben? That's right. Yep. So I got the um, it's an I it's a Deschutes IPA IPA. Uh, Deschutes. Yeah, uh, Deschutes Brewery, or as I like to call it, Descahooties. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I am drinking. All right, Ben's on deck. All right, what do you got? Right, up to bat here. So I'm going to show off something I'm not actually drinking right now. <laughs> No, that's okay. We do yeah. that a lot. This just seems fancier. So this is my my buddy here in town. He's a total Scotch nerd, and he's got over four hundred bottles. Uh, he calls it a library. That's how many bottles he has. And sometimes he hooks me up with deals when he's buying stuff at auctions, or sometimes he does like a smaller bottling for me. Uh, but I was over at his place, and he was giving me a bunch of rum and I've never been a rum guy. It always is too sweet for me, but he was doing like legit rums and they had all these smoky flavors and uh, sort of like a burnt banana quality. Some of them really, really complex stuff. Anyways, a few weeks later, he's like, Hey, I found this auction lot. I'm going to buy some bottles from. And I said, all right, I would normally say no to any rum, but you got me interested enough that I'm going to try it. And so it is a uh, grander Panama rum, and it is uh, imbued with peat. So Isla mm. peat. Oh, so yeah. it has that Scottish feel to it. Even though there's like a brown sweetness, mm-hmm. it has that, you know, c- cigar ash undertone to it that makes it really complex and delicious. And oh, I'm, I'm a fan. But it's strong. It's, you know, like... One one twenty five proof, so mm-hmm. it's not something you want to guzzle at at seven p.m. as it is right now. <laughs> We're going to be going to bed early. Well, you had me at rum, Ben. Yeah. That, that yeah. is my favorite. Oh my god, I got to look for that. Oh, stuff. I like the smoky stuff, and I love yeah. that the scotch. Or the, I like the inlays with the the peat. So I, I have to try it if it's in my price range. I don't know. I think I, I wanted to show the fifty bucks for it. Oh, I nice. To, yeah. Brand, let me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me amazing get... art. Let me go this way now. There uh, we go. Just uh, so I want to tell you that um, it was sold out in Eugene, the nearest city for me. Oh, I really? went to four different comic book stores, completely sold out. Yeah. Uh, so I went to Corvallis, sold out. I was moving up to Astoria, so I tried Astoria and Seaside, sold out. Uh, I got this two days ago in Portland, Oregon. And I had to call to make sure that it was actually there. So you're doing pretty good, man. Yeah. I drove, I drove about been busy. 400 miles for that comic book. That's <laughs> what you know. That's awesome. So well, there's uh, been some excitement for Ghost Rider. Holy shit! You, uh, they, they're trusting you with this. Um, and yeah. I'm reading it. It starts with uh, that question, Johnny. Where have you been? Um, my question to you is, can you give us a little bit of background? Because he was missing, right? And at one point, he was king of hell. And there's a lot of stuff going on with Ghost Rider. Yeah. Uh, but now we find him. So what happened before? So it's been really about two years since Johnny Blaze has been on the scene. Uh, there are other Ghost Riders out there. 
one of them is currently on the Avengers, but Johnny Blaze is the original Ghost Rider. Yeah. And basically, the, he made one small appearance in an, in an issue about a year ago. But essentially, it's been two years since he was last seen as the King of Hell. So my story starts off with, as you said, a panel where Johnny's looking rough, you know, his eyes are black bagged, his, you know, his posture's hunched over. He's got a big scar on the back of his head. He's talking to a therapist. And, and you know, when she says, where have you been, Johnny? She's talking about why hasn't he been checking in with his parole officer? Um, but there's some meta commentary there where it's also referencing, like, where has he been in the Marvel Universe? Now, the answer to that is going to play out over the course of several issues, right? But in this kickoff issue, what you see is that Johnny Blaze is seemingly living his best life. You know, he's living in a kind of white picket fence town. He has a beautiful wife, Roxanne, and his two kids. He's working with Crash at an auto shop, but he recently got into this accident and it's messed up his head. Not just physically, it's messed up his head mentally. And he's having all these nightmares, he's having all these visions, he's unable to ride his bike anymore. And, you know, the general vibe of the series, I don't know if you've ever seen Blue Velvet, David Lynch's Blue Velvet, but the opening of that movie is something that I had in my head. In the opening of Blue Velvet, you know, you, you hear the, the titular song, you, you, and you're sort of streaming down this beautiful suburban street, looks very 1950s, and, and there are all these houses tucked back on these, these uh, green lawns, and, and there are rose bushes being trimmed, and people washing their cars and driveways. and That little dog yipping. Yeah, and it just seems perfect. And then you get closer and you get closer and you get closer. And in the grass of this perfectly manicured lawn, there's a severed ear with ants seething all over it. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what I wanted to do here, where it's like, you know, you, you offer up this dream. Right. And then beneath the dream, there are, are shadows. There are, there are dark things that are crouched. Mm -hmm. And so slowly, this world begins to come apart. Uh, and Johnny doesn't know who has trapped him here in this fishbowl environment. But he doesn't know he's trapped at first. He doesn't know he's trapped at first. But over the course of the story, he yeah. is unchained yeah. in a way. And he merges once again with the spirits of vengeance and heads the hell out of town. Right. And over, of town. over the course of this first arc, he's essentially going to be a, a wandering Ronin in a way, kind of like an outlaw character or... You can think of it in a frontier Western sort of way, like going from place to place and sort of searching for answers and getting into mischief, you know, and dealing with different hauntings, monsters, etc. cetera, um, while seeking out this larger mystery as to how he ended up in this situation. So I wanted to get back to basics. Uh, the Ghost Rider mythology, it's really interesting, but it's also very complicated. And, you know, it's one thing if you've got, like, if you're a Marvel nerd and you know the entire Wikipedia entry on everything, like, you yeah. get excited about that stuff. But yeah. you know what? Most people don't know about all these different ghostwriters and these demons and the hierarchy and blah, 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 blah. Like, that stuff, it's exclusionary if you try to write a series that carries all of that baggage with it. And so given that this was not just a number one issue, but also the 50th anniversary, I want to go back to basics, sort of start over and not disregard or erase any of that stuff, but just start from some sort of platform where whether you were a longtime ghostwriter reader or whether you were picking it up for the very first time, you'd still be good. So it's kind of like a few years ago, you know, when I was at DC, I was involved in this big event called Rebirth. Mm, yeah. And so for now and for Teen Titans, and those are the series I was in charge of. But for all the series, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman and everything else, everything had a reboot. Everything went back to a number one issue. And the idea behind it was to take the core characteristics of these legacy characters 
try to celebrate that, try to, you know, really get back to sort of like the essence of what made people fall in love with these characters to begin with. Having been part of that rebirth experience, I sort of applied the same lens to Ghost Rider. This is no way like Ghost Rider rebirth. Yeah. And, and so that was my next question. I'm sure Case has some questions, but I, I want to, like, you have all of that, uh, you, that fan base. You have these beloved characters that have been there for a half a century. I mean, how do you deal with the pressure of just not messing this shit up, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's something you hear about every day on Twitter, believe me. <laughs> I'm very grateful for the mute and block button for that reason. Um, well, at least you get feedback. <laughs> Are we allowed to swear on the show? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, we T is not beer. here, so we're minus about 50 fucks already. <laughs> I was... I was <laughs> jokingly showing my family earlier a few tweets that came in where it said fuck you benjamin percy and that's <laughs> oh my God, really? wow it's personal oh, what oh, what <laughs> and then there's you know the occasional death threat that rolls in but i'm always like what are you gonna do stab me with your plastic God, don't mess paper. with someone's <laughs> comics though holy shit they're yeah. really into it and this is this backs up uh, sean's question because i was curious when you're writing on the creativity side, I'm Brandon, by the way, uh, producer of the show. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Uh, on the creativity side, you know, I don't, I don't know much about comics. I've never been a reader of them. But can you? Are there rules in the comic? Can you? Can you be creative? Can you break with tradition at times? And how much do you step out of the box as far as that goes, or do you have to like stick within a certain style and format when you're not just yeah, the history yeah. of the character, but it, but in the writing of the, That's of the comic the itself. Question. Uh, at DC, things were a little more strict, I have to say. Hmm. Um, there were parameters. There's a little bit more micromanagement. I had a great experience there. At the same time, I mean, they gave me my start. I'll forever be grateful for that. But let's say you're writing Teen Titans, as I was. There's always this question of continuity. So it's not just about the characters as they have existed for years, sometimes for decades. It's also considering the web of other stories that are being told because you're writing a shared universe, mm. right? So if you're writing Teen Titans, I've got Kid Flash, I've got Aqualad, I've got Damian Wayne, a.k.a. Robin. Yeah. In addition to Starfire and Raven. But the first characters that I mentioned there, they're all in other series. They're all influenced, impacted by other series. So I have to know what's going on in Aquaman. I have to know what's going on in Batman. I have to know what's going on in uh, <laughs> you get briefings? Flash. And it's just <laughs> it driving me crazy. Honestly, crazy. Does somebody uh, like call you up and like, all right, this is what's going on here. Or exactly. no, you just have to read it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, you got like the bat phone and then the flash phone, <laughs> Aquaman phone. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the thing that would drive me crazy is that something would always change at the last minute. They're like, oh, you know, Aqualad now has one eyeball because it got stabbed out by, you know, a trident in Aquaman or something. But <laughs> or, doesn't the metaverse get rid of all that shit now? <laughs> you, so, the but, but, you know, the experience at Marvel has been a little different in part because here I am writing Ghost Rider who's sort of like off on his own 40 acres. Uh, or or with Wolverine and with X-Force, I've been part of this thing called the Dawn of X, right? And the X-Men essentially rebooted two years ago. And we, you know, there was a lot of thought that went into this. Uh, one of which is, you know, one of the central tenets of it is, is rather political. You know, if you think about the X-Men being characters who are oftentimes associated with, marginalized groups um if you look at what's happening in this country with the me too movement with black lives matters right a lot of people have stood up recently and said that's enough um and so with the x-men the x-men in the past have almost always been in peril victimized chased down hunted what we had the x-men do and this was helmed by jonathan hickman is say that's enough and so what they did was they formed their own island nation of Krakoa. Hmm. And not only that, but this island of Krakoa is a mutant. X-Men history, that's like a living entity. Yeah. And Krakoa 
you know, it's a mutant itself and it's able to produce botanicals that are, that are medicinal and can not necessarily cure cancer, but pretty close. It can cure dementia. Anyways, they would offer to the world these medicines if everybody recognized Krakoa as a sovereign nation. Um, and so you have this island and basically the mutants annexed themselves from the rest of society and became dominant economically and politically. And so we have for two years almost been off on our own. Uh -huh. And so basically we've been able to do our own thing. We don't have to worry about the Avengers. We don't have to worry about what's going on with Spider-Man because we've got our own. You help make a, like a mutant CIA, a mutant uh, FBI type of things, right? With X-Force and. Yeah, X-Force, you know, I, that's one of the series I write. And when we were doing this, I was like, well, if you have an, a nation, you need a CIA. And so yeah. X-Force is like, it's always had a black ops vibe throughout the years, but it's, yeah. it's the CIA of, of the mutant kingdom. Uh, uh, so that's a lot of fun to write. Oh, the deaths and lives of Wolverine. I just picked those up. Uh, that, that seems like a lot of fun. You get to revisit all of the stuff that Wolverine had ever did, right? Yeah, and yeah, how yeah. he has died. And that, that seems like a blast. And in a way that answers cycles back to, you know, Brandon's question about legacy where, so here I am, Ryan Wolverine, right? He's almost 50 years old as, as a character when he first appeared in Amer Incredible Hulk. And, and so, you know, I've read a lot of, I probably haven't read every single Wolverine issue. I've read a, a lot of them. Um, so I already had that sort of in my DNA. Um, but one of the things about Wolverine that I wanted to address is that he's had all of these different lives, right? He's been, there's like the famous storylines in Japan, the famous storylines in Madripoor, the famous storylines in the Chester Mansion. Yeah. Uh, stories where he was part of Weapon X mm -hmm. and Team X and so on. And so uh, the stories when he was, you know, or his origin story in Canada. Um, so what I wanted to do from the very beginning, you can see this in page one of my Wolverine run, page one of issue one. You know, I have a, a line that goes something like this. It's like, uh, James, Wolverine, Patch, Weapon X. You know, I go through all of those different identities. And then I talk about Krakoa, Westchester, Madripoor, Canada. You know, I go through this, yeah. this sort of uh, table of contents of his broken life. And I say, and I talk about how he can't puzzle piece it all together because he's been mind wiped and memory planted so many times. Right. He's not sure what's true and what's invented. And so I wanted to, from the beginning, address this. I wanted to write this big event. So 10 Lives of Wolverine and the 10 Deaths of Wolverine, which is out right now, I've been working towards this moment since I started two years ago. It's all been building towards this. Um, and it's something that is addressing the I, past, you know, time I, travel story, but it's also, you know, synthesizing his future as well. Cause you know, there's like a Terminator thing, Wolverine that comes from the future back in time. And it's, it's pretty wild. Well, selfishly, I want you to revisit the Sam Keith Wolverine run and, uh, put cyber in there because he was like one of my favorite characters. He's completely crazy. Didn't really have anything to do about computers. Had adamantium skin. You remember Cyber? Yeah, there's been a Sam lot. Keith was just amazing. People, people love Cyber. There's a lot of, you know, you might as well join the chorus of nerds online and tag me. Our Cyber. Our Cyber. You know, there's someone saying, fuck you, Sean Davis. <laughs> I just really like I'm not the... big enough to be uh, uh, I, mean, I feel like half of the tweets I get are, really enjoyed the issue. Where's Cyber? <laughs> really? Well, it's oh not God. cyber. It could be anybody. Everybody <laughs> has their favorite character. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Well, well could, could you ever just, you know, write a full comic off just the Twitter comments? It's like, all right, here's what you wanted. Say, let me pause and say, like, the great thing about comics fans is they care. They 100%. Uh, I'm, I'm, making, yeah. I'm making some jokes, but yeah. they care. And that passion is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, you every know, time you go, to, right? you go to a bookstore reading, 
and everybody, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, very interesting. Oh, and then like soft applause at the end, you know, drinking their Earl Grey tea. <laughs> and then you go to like a comics event, it's like there's 4,000 people in there, and you're like on the stage, and there's, you know, like, it's like a being at a wrestling event or something. Oh, they're like, passionate. Like going yeah. all around, and, and you're up there, and you're like, and then Wolverine is going to kick some ass. And everybody's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Having seizures in the aisles and dressed up as the character. Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that to, like, Victorian literature? And, like, then Heathcliff is going to come in and kick some ass. <laughs> <laughs> Do that at AWP, case. Yeah, yeah. I'm just planning on running and running and eating. That's all I'm going to do. Running and eating. <laughs> but you wrote, you, you created some characters here, and and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I try to look it up. But like Talia Warroad, a beautiful name. She seems like uh, you know she's going on a path. And that guy Zeb. Are we done with Zeb, or is Zeb coming back? Because coming back, yeah. That guy was hilarious, man. Uh, Like he had like filed teeth to points, a blonde mullet. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if he had a pencil thin mustache, but it was also a handlebar pencil thin mustache. And uh, Ron Perlman vibe for that guy. (laughs) And you had me a blonde mullet. It's fantastic. (laughs) And uh, and he's part. He's a part of this group called the Night, the Night Magicians this night council and, and yeah, you're going to hear more from him. Uh, this and Talia Warroad, she's the head of this new unit. She used to be a part of shield. Her unit got swept aside. So the FBI took the funding, uh, and took at the recommendation of Nick Fury started up kind of an X-Files unit and Talia Warroad is the head of that. And so all the separate supernatural activity, as she says in the first issue is on the rise mm-hmm. in the country. And nobody else oh, wants to go Nobody wants to believe her. Nobody wants to listen to her. But she's like, I need some fucking money. Let's do yeah. this. And yeah. she, you know, the next issue reveals she drives around in a hearse with flames on it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Case. I'm stealing all your questions, man. No, no like, but it, when we were talking about super nerds uh, that loves comic books. So um, I've been asking them all. Well, Case officially went off script with the first question, so he can't. I mean, he just ruined the whole. Case is going rogue. Yeah, yeah, he's rogue. Now I just want to show. No, the outline was just a guideline, man. Guideline, guideline. But this light, the lighting on Case right now is fantastic. I love the lighting on Case. This is where it's at. Yeah, so that's like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. (laughs) (laughs) Where's where's your little circle (laughs) thing that you usually use? Oh, I I need that for my TikToks. You don't. Uh, hey, I didn't get a chance to talk about what I was drinking, but I, so I just wanted to throw oh, yeah. this stout edition of Jameson. Just so, yeah, it's it's oh, March. It's that. March. It? So this Devil's Cut is uh, pretty smooth. It's only ninety uh, percent or ninety proof. Um, it's it's a decent, you know. But I'm one of those wimps. I love to put my bourbon on ice with a little bit of water. Yeah, I like ice. People like hate that. I, I don't get like all the time on Twitter on how that's wrong. Again all with the, the Twitter five feedback. Five or six people on my Twitter following. Like, yeah, you're yeah. listening too much to him, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening too much to him. I am, Brent. <laughs> all right, Sean Case, okay, so we got about 10 minutes left with Ben. We don't want to take up. I only have one question, uh, kind of a thing question, but Case, you, you go first, buddy. Oh, oh uh, well, no. I mean, I think I like the idea of like, um, this Ghost Rider just just came out. Um, obviously, you're working on a larger series with that. But uh, what are we going to see next? What's going to be the next thing that actually lands lands into the world? What's which is given? Uh, I've got a few things rolling right now <clears throat> in Hollywood, and I'm putting a lot of energy into that. Um, so I'm I'm writing Urban Cowboy with my buddy James Ponsel. James is a director. Uh, you might know his stuff like The End of the Tour. Uh, that's my favorite film of his. It's about David Foster Wallace. It stars um, Jason Segel and Jesse Eisenberg. Um, he, you know, he made The Spectacular Now. He's made a lot of stuff. And anyways, we, we became pals a long time ago in 2003. We were roommates at the Swanee Writers Conference. Um, and we just have stayed fast friends ever since. And we've been collaborating. So we are adapting Urban Cowboy, the 1980 John Travolta movie. Mm-hmm. 
Deborah Winger movie into a TV series for Paramount Plus. Okay. Um, so that's been a really fun challenge. And, and you know, hopefully it goes the distance. Uh, and then I'm also adapting uh, The Ninth Metal. That's one of my novels that kicks off the comet cycle. I'm adapting that right now for Sony. Um, so whether either of those goes the distance, I don't know. But that's where I'm putting a lot of my, my whiskey and venom right now. Hey, Ben, just to clarify, go, go the distance means like it will be shown eventually on TV somewhere, correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's what I'm talking right. about. Because so much gets cut. Like you do a lot, so much work and then they, somebody doesn't oh, pick it up or somebody yeah. says, yeah, not going to make it. Hollywood okay. makes a lot of investments and so a lot of it doesn't, most of it doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. You know, just to give you an example of this and things have changed since COVID. Uh, but let's say pre-COVID, uh, a place like NBC, CBS, a network, they might buy, <clears throat> you know, uh, I don't, these aren't exact numbers, but it gives you an idea of the ratio. Let's say they'd buy uh, 20 pilots every quarter. Wow. And so what that means is they heard a bunch of pitches and they're like, yeah, I like that. I want you to write a pilot. And so they'd pay somebody to write this pilot. Okay. So then this is every quarter. So every season, let's say. So it's spring. You've got 20 pilots in the works. You look at all these pilots when they're done and you're like, um, I like these seven. <laughs> so out of these seven, you then shoot the pilot for each of them. Okay. So each of those pilots is probably going to be three to $5 million. Wow. wow. That's some investment. When yeah. It, when you shoot it, you know, uh, just like a, just like a movie, you know, an hour long pilot. And, and then out of those six or seven that they shot, they're probably only going to put on the air four of them or three of them. And most of those shows will only last one season, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's just this, and that's just one example. They get picked up for this season, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was an extra in a pilot for. They, it actually was shown after the Super Bowl. It was billed as uh, Baywatch on the snow, like in the mountains. Weird. It didn't work. Uh, so they, they they don't have bikinis up there in Ogden. I don't. Episode, well, it was filmed in yeah at the at the in the mountains in Salt Lake, and um, there were some famous ish people in it in it, I guess. But I was just an extra cat, and uh, they showed it after the Super Bowl, thinking this is going to be the next big hit along with Baywatch. And yeah, weird, it it didn't catch. But they do they they I didn't realize they spent that much money, Ben. That's a lot, or or did that many? That's a, so many. That's so that's much. That's just work. one example you hear yeah. all the time about. Oh, my story got optioned, my novel got optioned, whatever. Well, they option all this stuff, and then probably ninety nine point nine percent of those, nothing ever happens. Oh, it's crazy. All that means is they're just buying the right to make it. Yeah. And then out of the stuff, they're like, oh, you know, I think we might try to write a script on this. A I mean, script gets written or maybe three scripts get written or maybe 10 scripts get written and and a lot of money gets spent and it never gets shot. Yeah, good news, <laughs> bad news is there's even more people vying for those uh, storylines. In other words, they're, you know, Netflix and Peacock and uh, Disney. I mean, everybody's trying to produce co- uh, Apple, Apple even. I mean, everyone's trying to produce content. So there's... I'm wondering how much of it gets dumped from one and picked up by another. Sometimes that happens with failed seasons, like The Expanse. You know, it got picked up. From, Expanse was amazing. Like, that's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it started and off. I read all the books. So sci-fi good. and went over to Amazon. Yeah, yeah. 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 Amazon, they Hulu. Job. They did a great job with it. And, and, and there's something where you can like you're watching a series for four seasons, and they finally say "fuck." You're like. All right, awesome. That's That's when it went to Amazon. (laughs) Uh, And and case your question was so much better than mine. My my question was, hey Ben, when are you gonna write Greatest American Hero? Because that's probably my favorite, and it really needs to be rewritten. I still do that on on the swing sets, by the way. (laughs) No, my 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 last question was about like you have all of these uh, big time directors talking about uh, Marvel movies, like. Dennis uh, Villeneuve, I love Dune for sure, but he says that Marvel movies turn us into a zombie a bit. Martin Scorsese said they're not cinema. Uh, Coppola said they're despicable, even though his nephew played Ghost Rider. Uh, it, it, you know, but 
Meanwhile, Spider-Man No Way Home breaks all the records. Batman just hit $500 million in ticket sales. And then, you know, Jared Leto is saying that Marvel has saved movie theaters. Um, What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, everybody's always complaining about what's popular. Mm -hmm. People (laughs) complained about the Western when it was the dominant genre. Um, Okay, so let me me add a little bit to that. Uh, so you're a novel writer, uh, you're in literary uh, field, and then you go to comics. Do people are like, oh, he's uh, he's just a fiction writer now, or he's, uh, he's a too genre deep. writer now? Type oh, of yeah, yeah. I get a, I remember I did an event at a college a few years ago, and uh, one of the faculty members wouldn't come to my event because they called me a hack and a sellout. Uh, so. you sold out to do comic books which are the like what's going on today in, in- I, I won't name name the, uh, another faculty member who i taught with at tin house uh it was mike magnuson it, it was mike magnuson wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> no, <love Mike> <laughs> uh, this but this guy did sit me down we we're having you know just dinner in the cafeteria and he's like you know i want to ask you something like don't you feel like you're wasting your talent writing these comic books? You know, he's like, why are you doing this? That says a lot about you and not, not much about me. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you ever read a comic? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I get a lot. I get a lot of that, but I, I don't know. I just feel pretty disconnected to like, there was a part of my life where I was always at MLA and AWP and I was teaching on college campuses and everything else. And I was tuned in all that stuff, but I just, yeah. I'm totally separate from it now. So well, I want to say, and this will be the last thing I say, and I really appreciate man, because when I went for the MFA and, you know, I really felt like everybody was moving me towards, I had to go literary, I had to go literary, but my heart's always been comic books and like genre, sci-fi and stuff. And when you kind of broke out and did all the stuff that you did, that's why I've been following you so much because, like, we don't have to do that, right? We can actually do what the fuck we want to do. If you love Lydia Davis and Donald Barthelme, great. I mean, I love them too. I love literary fiction. But, you know, my heart is in the nerdy stuff. I I love it. No, That's what made me want to be a writer is because I grew up obsessed with dragons and vampires and barbarians with woolly underpants. I'll tell you, man, Robert E. Howard saved my life. Robert E. Howard saved my life. And thank you for, like, keep going and what you're doing. I am so excited to see what you do. I have no doubt that you're going to get picked up on some streaming platform or some big movie distributor and do some great things. Because right now, like, uh, (laughs) you know, the X-Men is coming back into the the MCU and they're going to be looking for storylines. I can't wait until it's like the – the lives and deaths of Wolverine or something oh, like that. Yeah. I, okay, I would die a happy man if that happened. Yeah. I just yeah. hope they pay their writers and their artists better. And I'm really sorry we didn't get to talk about your artists because I know in the letterers and, and the inkers because yep. they do such an amazing job. Yeah, it's, a, it's okay. the thing about comics is that it's a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing. The I talked about it before as a co-authorship, but it's more than just the artists. It's the letterer, it's the colorist, it's the editors. It's a team effort. And if you're all strenuously trying to tell the best story possible, that's that's exciting and inspiring. And and it's something you don't get when you're writing novels and you're just alone in the dark, playing with your imaginary friends all by yourself. Yeah. I'm glad that I have that in my life, but I'm also glad I have the comics and the TV stuff because, you know, company is a good thing. Interacting with other people is a good thing. Makes me feel a little bit less alone. I live in the woods. I'm in my basement all day. <laughs> like, it's great to be able to get on the phone and get on on uh, Zoom with people and just talk story, break story. Yeah. Case, any last Thank questions? You so much for being here, man. No, just a thanks. It's great to see you, Ben. Um, yeah, great to see you guys. You know, this we is can, fun. Uh, share whiskey in person in the near future. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully soon. Well, I'm mean, living a story. If you ever want to come to the Pacific thing again, yeah. January. Rooney's never say die. Rooney's <laughs> never. Say- I saw that comment and I thought, okay, all right, we're on the same page here. Yeah, a story. Yeah, 
Very good. Uh, ben, say, thank you so much for being generous with your time here today. This has been Bourbon, Beer, and Books. If you are listening to this podcast through only through the podcast, well, guess what? You can see our beautiful faces on YouTube if you jump on over to the Banyan Collective on YouTube. Go ahead and subscribe, and that helps us out a lot. So thanks so much. Ben, I appreciate it, man. That's uh, very nice of you to spend some time with us, and I, and I learned yeah. a few things, so that was awesome. Uh, Sean Case, thanks so much. Case entering studio, he has as his. <laughs> Very good. Thanks for listening, and we will all drink together again next month. So we'll see you then. Cheers, everyone. All right. See ya. See ya.